the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia. Welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello, friends, and welcome back to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact. I'm your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, joined in studio today by our guest, Katie Hart-Smith. She is not only an author, not only a speaker, and an artist, I've just found out, but she also is a registered nurse for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's a, just an honor to be here and be included in your podcast. So happy Friday. Yes, happy Friday. And we are sitting here in a, uh, a pretty humid studio because of all this, the rain and such last night. But we are going to sweat through this together. Okay, Katie? <laughs> sweat and giggle. Sweat That's all. <laughs> and giggle. Before the show, I had an opportunity to get to know you uh, in depth, but our listeners weren't tuned in quite yet. So first, let's start with your robust experience in the nursing field and what you specifically do for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Sure. I work as a registered nurse. I started there in the late 80s as a nurse tech in 1986, but I am currently the physician outreach liaison for Gwinnett, Barrow, and Walton County areas. And that means I am the concierge to help our community doctors and physicians access CHOA, bring them uh, clinical in services, and be their point person and liaise between children's and their practice. And you are out of the office in Atlanta, correct? I am. Okay, because I know here in Gwinnett, there's the one off Satellite Boulevard. That is correct. That's our urgent care center and our ambulatory surgery center. Ambulatory is not a word I don't think I've ever said that. Ambulatory. Thank you for teaching me. (laughs) Um, I'd like to learn a little bit about how you got into the the field of nursing. I know you've been in it for 30 plus years. So obviously having a heart for service and a, a love for what you do. Tell me how you got into the field. Great segue and great question. I started as a young kid. I knew in my heart nursing was a calling for me. I was the little kid that I knew I wanted to always be a nurse. I believe I was influenced by my grandma, Gigi. She grew up in southern Indiana in Davies County, and that's a very poor, it was at the time, very poor rural area, and grew up on a farm. She was very smart and bright, and her teachers told her there is more to life outside, you know, this county. Her father did not want her to pursue an education or go to college. He wanted her to stay on the farm, and so she chose to buck the family you know, directives of her father. She applied to nursing school in Indianapolis and got accepted. She sewed her nursing uniform and hid it in her hope chest at the foot of her bed. And one day when her father came home off the fields and she was no longer home, the mother had to tell her, well, she is now in Indianapolis. She's going to pursue a nursing career. My grandma knew that an education was the key to breaking chains of poverty. She wanted to see the world. She wanted to travel. She wanted to do more for her community. And I believe that story stuck with me and instilled a desire into me that was that of calling and service. Both my grandmothers um, were very you know, involved in their communities and very servant oriented. So that really stuck with me and made it and just inspired me to pursue that 
and pursue a nursing education. Did you get to spend time with Gigi? Was she, I she around? did. Good. She lived to be to the sweet old age of 102. Holy smokes. Yes. That's incredible. It is. I think um, just she had, a, it was a spitfire and uh, she drank, she smoked, she, you know, she just lived a good life. She loved her green tea and mm. good foods. And, you know, I think that she just had a desire for life and passion for life. But her story was such that it inspired me then to do work with not only being at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, become a pediatric nurse, but then to pay it forward mm -hmm. and to work with Georgia Gwinnett College School of Nursing and Dean White. And that is to mentor the next generation of healthcare professionals and nurses. Congratulations. Thank you. And so our family then donated my grandmother's nursing cape, her books, her textbooks. Can you believe they stayed around that long and they're in pristine condition? Her instruments, her nursing instruments. Wow. And so my cap, my nursing cap is in there from Georgia okay. State. And uh, so it's on display. It is. It's oh, in there. At the college? Uh-huh. And her picture and her diploma. I have got to check that out. Our producer, Dan, here is shaking his head as though he's seen it. Have you seen this, Dan? Do you know where this is at? No, I don't think so. I'm just I went to Georgia State, ah. but um, I don't. I'm not sure if I know exactly where that's at. at Georgia Gwinnett College. Oh, at Georgia Gwinnett. I'm yes. sorry. I thought you said Georgia State. I oh. graduated Georgia, Georgia State. State. Oh, gotcha. Word, word. Okay. Yes. Well, I would love to go and take a look at that because just seeing those instruments still intact from yes. times before we were at the place of the advancement yeah. that we're in now. The glass syringes, right? Yes. And the metal needles that they would boil. And reuse. To sterilize. Yes. Holy smokes. I would love to see, you said that she hand sewed her uniform. Mm -hmm. I have her uniform. Wow. I bet that's incredible. It is. Each thread, each stitch intentionally and all to pursue something that wasn't really supported at the time. Correct. And women at the turn of the century, you're dealing with the 1920s. So you had limited professional choices. You were a teacher, a secretary, a telephone operator, like a switchboard operator or nursing. And so, you know, she knew that she had a call, mm -hmm. a calling and uh, into the healthcare profession. So and that, that calling, yeah, passed, passed down to you. Well, congratulations. It sounds like that is truly not only, you know, in your heart, but in your bloodline as well. Oh, thank you. So I want to go back to, you mentioned that you were 30 plus years as a orthopedic. I was. In the, in the world of orthopedics. Tell me about that time in your life. 30 years is a long time to be in one, you know, specific lane. Sure. Well, I started out in clinical nursing, which is uh, was a step-down unit at Eggleston um, from the ICU, and we saw all different kinds of patients from cancer to uh, neurology and renal and all kinds of different patients. And so um, I then went to work in urgent care and then became specialized in pediatric orthopedics and sports medicine. Ooh. And in doing so, when I did that, I also was teaching aerobics at the old Falcon Complex and the racquetball club. In Flowery Branch? Well, no, it was in Swanee at okay. the time. And so I remember ringing the doorbell and said, hey, I want to learn some more about sports medicine. And um, I remember their athletic trainer, Jerry Ray, mm -hmm. he's like a grandfather of athletic trainers, and he knew who I was. We went to the same church, Dunwoody United Methodist. I grew up in Dunwoody. 
And he said, absolutely, come. Uh, we will. You can work with our team doctor. And they hired me to be on contract to work with the Falcon sports team. Wow. In the 90s. And it was escorted. I was escorted in, escorted out. And it was very professional. And I worked under the team doctor to do their team physicals. And I learned so much. So then as I continued to grow my passion for orthopedics and sports medicine, when Eggleston and Scottish Rite merged in the late 90s, I became their first director of orthopedics. And that was in your early 30s. I was. What I was very an young. undertaking. <laughs> yes. I have to stop you really quickly because we have a uh, studio friend who played for the Falcons during that time. And I'm going to ask you just by a wild chance, do you know Harper Lavelle? He was the long snapper from 91 to 96. I know the name, but I don't remember because there was... I bet you helped him with something sprained once upon a time. You never know. (laughs) Morton Anderson was there, you know, the kicker. Uh um, So it was the Jerry Glanville days. Jerry Glanville's. I apologize for interrupting you. No, no, no. So um, being in such a high caliber role in in your early 30s, I know where I was at in my life in my 30s and kind of navigating was still... Something I was trying to figure out. So share with me what life was like during that time. Well, I think I continued to, I was going through a divorce. And so I was continuing to find myself, right, and who I was professionally. But I dedicated myself to my profession of nursing, to my role at the hospital, to working in the community and teaching aerobics and uh, working with the Falcon team for a year. And then I started writing, mm-hmm. you know, talk about a squirrel moment, left turn, but my, as my mom always said, I always had this creative side along with that logical side. And so I started writing um, for the Pediatric Orthopedic Nursing Journal and then became a staff writer interviewing different healthcare professionals for various healthcare magazines like Pulse or mm-hmm. Spectrum. And so um, I began telling the story or writing about what we were doing at Eggleston and Scottish Rite and at the children's hospitals with their orthopedic team on unique cases in pediatrics. And they became published in the um, orthopedic nursing journal. And then I became a part of their editorial board later on, reviewing the pediatric articles for submission. And that to me was just my path of continuing to grow and evolve. But I was able to marry the business side to the creative side and just kind of I wouldn't say like a leaf on the wind. It was very structured in my opinion, but I allowed myself to grow and bloom and find new avenues to utilize my nursing career and my desires. So, and also share some knowledge and and be viewed as a subject matter expert. Exactly. I'm curious because we didn't really talk about, obviously your degree was in nursing. Um, did you like minor in journalism or anything like that? Cause I did not. As I know. an author, not everybody <laughs> has the great talent of picking up a pen and paper, Katie, no. to just put, to pen something <laughs> awesome. So did you have, and I'm asking as a creative writer myself, yeah. did you find it difficult to create these articles at the time because it was kind of new to you, um, you know, working in the world of publication? Sure. What I did was I looked at the format, always in the back of the magazine before everything was on the web, right? You had to look and see what their format structure was. And then you looked and saw what the format structure was for the articles in, within the publication, usually started out with an abstract, which is a summary of what the article was about. And then you started with your timeline of who, what, when, where, why. Now, granted, you know, when you're writing academic 
it's not like you're writing historical fiction, right? Mm-hmm. There's, so there's not a lot of character development. There's not a lot of climax Plot building. Twist. Right. Is little Billy going to get a cast or is he <laughs> going to the OR? I don't know. So um, I found it. it's a very straight way of writing mm-hmm. versus when you're writing for fiction, nonfiction, you have this creative mm-hmm. avenue to unfold. But with medical or academic writing, you have your source work. You have to do your, you know, homework. Yeah. You've got to look and see who are you citing as your uh, sources mm-hmm. for to support what you're saying, because these books or the nursing textbooks that I was a part of, you have to make sure that you are the subject matter expert because you're going to get quoted. Right. And you can't plagiarize either. No, no, no. I mean, you just took me back to, to college <laughs> when we used to have to cite our works. You know how you had to have yes. your site your site Did I break you out in sweat? <laughs> no, I loved it. But I just remember, uh, you know, gosh, I'm from the, the era of a Dewey Decimal System where right. we actually utilized books in the library and not just our devices. So, no. Well, cheers to you. And I'm curious because... In, we're going to kind of take a, a left turn here. You said squirrel brain yeah. into you being an author today. So obviously, you know, that kind of ignited something within you as far as being able to express yourself um, through through writing, if I might say. Share with us the path that led you to being a self-published author and to uh, starting your publication company. Sure. What I did was I just, I've always had these little stories with me and I started um I remember Clark Howard was telling, talking a long time ago about Lulu self-publishing. And so I did some little children's poetry books, knowing that poetry and rhyming helps children with their vocabulary and build their vocabulary. And I did a lot of illustrations for those little books. And then put it on pause for a little bit. And then I started doing an inspirational column for the Gwinnett Citizen, which is a local newspaper, and then did more human interest stories in interviewing very neat, unique people here in Gwinnett. And then I uh, just got uh, this, I don't know, uh, it just this inspiration kind of washes over you that is like, you've got to tell this story. And I can't explain it other, any other way, like a muse, mm-hmm. right? So whether you're an artist or a musician, you get these muses and you get this calling and you're like, I've got to tell this story. And the story was a true story about the Dunwoody girls. There were, you know, five of us in Dunwoody, grew up at Dunwoody High School but they had a mom, one of the daughter, or one of the girls' moms, um, Carolyn, was very influential in our lives and teaching us life lessons. As um, she was passing away from cancer, and my friend Dorothy, her mother, her daughter, and I would help take care of her. And so, I would work at the hospital and maybe come spend the night and uh, help, you know, take care of her medical needs, and then go back to the hospital the mm-hmm. next day. And so. In doing that, sometimes she liked her smoke. She liked to smoke and she liked her wine and we liked our chocolate. Mm -hmm. So we would sit on the couch and she would impart these wonderful life lessons as a former 1950s model who just had a really neat life and, but, you know, just was able to keep us grounded in what was important in life and over that we called it couch time with Carolyn sessions. And that's, the title. That's of the title one of, of the, the memoir. Yes. The memoir, yes. And so that um, was nominated for Georgia Author of the Year. And then after that, after I felt called to tell that story, then I prayed about my grandmother's story that we just talked about earlier. And I was like, how do you tell this story in a city that I know and love, which is Atlanta? 
And my dad would was the org, an organist. He was a salesman, worked for a pharmaceutical industry. But on Sundays, he had a gig, is what I call it. And wherever we lived, he played for churches. Love it. That was an organist. Yes. And he was self-taught. Could play by ear. Amazing. So he played at the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception Church downtown. And so the priest would tell my sister and I in the, you know, in the 70s when we lived here that the church was used as a hospital, mm. how it was not burned down by Sherman, and all this rich history. And we would learn all this rich history of all these other historical buildings in downtown Atlanta on the way home. So Atlanta was my heart. And that's where, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to tell a story about my grandmother and it's going to be historical fiction, it needs to be in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, because the roads and the places in southern Indiana was literally a grid. It was road A, plot, you know, A1. Wow. Yeah. Or you lived on 2B. And so when you're describing and using descriptive writing, that's not... No, a, yeah. that doesn't sizzle. It doesn't sizzle. <laughs> and so I took the story, transplanted it, prayed about it. And at like two in the morning, I woke up and the whole outline for the story came to mind. And I got up and I just started writing. And as anybody who's a creative knows, when the muse hits you, you got, yes, you need your notepads and you need sticky notes and napkins and whatever, your phone to write in the notes. And so I knocked it out in two hours and my husband got up and he's like, are you okay? Was I snoring? Are you? Do you need to come back to bed? Oh, is everything all right? And I was like, yes, I I'm have inspired. it. I had the whole story. And so I wrote the story, the whole Sacred Heart Trilogy. And it started with Aspirations of the Heart, followed by uh, Hope Never Rests and High Cotton and Magnolias. And they are in the Governor's Mansion Library. Wow. What an exciting story. Yeah. And, and how just came to you and you're able your grandmother lives on through these stories yes. and her her uh, story can be shared and inspire others absolutely congratulations thank to you, you. For, for penning that thank you you mentioned something if I may go back and you were talking about the Dunwoody did you say gir- gals or somebody girls okay yeah and then you mentioned Carolyn kind of you know being a matriarchal figure um you mentioned earlier being called mom once in your life <gasps> Oh, yes. I'd love to hear that story. I was a nurse. Well, I found out I was not able to have children later on in my life. But being a pediatric nurse and being called to the profession, your heart is filled because you're working with children every day. And at the time, I was working on our unit at the hospital at Eggleston. I was taking care of a patient. We practiced what we call primary care nursing, where every day you were working, you always took care of the same patient. So you had that um, continuity of care and you knew the nuances of that child. And the family. And so when there are subtle changes in the child, you can pick them up easily because the conditions in children can change quickly. Mm. And so I began taking care of this little girl. She did not have a family with her other than an aunt. Um, She did have cancer and she was undergoing treatment. So I became her primary care nurse. And I, she was probably two years old. And I'll never forget walking into the room one day, and her aunt just happened to be sitting in the corner of the room. And I, she pulled herself up, the little girl pulled herself up onto the crib rails and reached out her hands and said, Mama. Oh. And my heart broke because I thought, is she talking to me? Is she talking to her aunt? And her aunt stood up and said, oh, my gosh, these are the first words she has said. Ever? And I believe so. Holy and smokes. she said, I cannot believe 
she identifies you as her mother. And so every time I would go into that room, and I saw you just brought Kleenex, thank you. You know, it's a touching story, a very vulnerable story for me to tell because I um, even wrote a column about it in one of my inspirational columns. And I found that, you know, you don't have to be a biological mother to be a mother. And I found that um, to touch someone's life like that and to be affiliated as someone's mother or identified as someone's mother as you cared for this child, um, it just touched my heart and it changed my life Mm. because I have been called mom once in my lifetime, although she was not my biological child. She eventually did succumb to her cancer and Mm. she passed away at a very young age. And so, you know, but I carry the joy with me and I carry that love with me and that's what you know sustains you so thank you as I I reach for a Kleenex oh I agree with you 100 (laughs) percent um you know the word mom or mother really kind of embodies um actions and we were talking about nurturing and and being, you know, I don't want to say fill a void or that place, but you're right. It doesn't have to be a biological mother. Not everybody is fortunate enough to have their parents or to spend time with them or their parents might not be capable of, of providing that for them. Correct. But having someone that, that plays that role is equally important and it, it could be anybody. I think it's a great compliment to be considered uh, mom or, you know, lots of people who uh, might be considered someone's grandma or gigi and they're not blood related, but they impact others greatly. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important. And your show is so important too, because you're honoring and celebrating these women who are doing amazing things. And they always say the sum is greater than, you know, the individual parts. And, you know, we all bring to the table different unique gifts and talents that we're making our community better. And it is in that collective whole where you can see the results. Well, a mentor of mine always taught me to be generous with your time, treasures, and talents. And that's what we try to do here. Use this as a catalyst. Thank you for listening and thank you for recognizing. And that's a perfect segue because you you mentioned uh, being able to do this series. And we'd love to just share with you a little bit about those who support this series. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com.
All right. And welcome back, folks. I do just want to extend a personal thank you to those who support these series, everybody out there listening to our sponsors at NEMA and to um, those at Sourced. I have to say from personal experience, my husband's company uses Sourced as his back office solutions, and we are absolutely thrilled with the service that they provide. So do check them out. Um, I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, joined in studio by Katie Hart-Smith. And as we come back from our break, I told you I was going to put you in the hot seat, Katie, and I'm going to lay it out for you. So throughout your lifetime, you have cared tremendously for others in all facets of what you do, career, personal, etc. I'm curious, what do you do to take care of yourself or who takes care of you? And I don't mean quite literally, like who fluffs your hair or washes, washes your clothes, <laughs> but as far as self-care and as far as you giving so much... We aren't just machines. Who fulfills you? Not your patients. How do you That's operate? A great question. Wow. Um, I think one of the things I've learned and I am continuing to learn is self-care because you do give so much in your profession or when you're serving your community as a volunteer. But I've read self-help books, you know, um, meditation, reflexology. So my husband, Jeff, you asked who takes care of me. My husband and I take care of each other. We are very good to um, keep each other in check as a team um, because we both do a lot of volunteer and community work. And we both give a lot Um, of our time and talents. And so we are also very good about checking in on each other and we can recognize the little nuances of when our batteries are running low. And so when our batteries run low, we are definitely ones to go get massages Mm. and to take care of ourselves. I love to exercise and walk. That goes back to my early aerobic days. And just knowing that I love to swim, I'm a water baby. So um, finding water sports or kayak, Mm. if I'm out on vacation, um, and so I feel that being active, I was just reading a book from Wes Moss because I'm now venturing into my retirement years, believe it or not. Well deserved. Uh, thank you. And so as I prepare, I was reading a book and Wes Moss was re- um, talking about core pursuits and those are your ING hobbies, <laughs> meaning the verbs of ING, gardening, traveling, walking, swimming, what cooking. And so those ING verbs or your core pursuits or those things you want to turn on high when you retire, because those will help sustain you. Those are the things that bring you joy. Mm -hmm. And so joy is a very important word because what I do to also regenerate my battery is things that are joy filled. So maybe it is my service and volunteer commitment to Truths Clinic, which is our faith-based community medical clinic for those who find themselves without insurance. And so I serve as a nurse a couple times a month and serve on their board and have done so for five years. Um, But that is joy-filled work for me. Mm -hmm. And that actually re-energizes me Mm. through service. Um, Volunteer work is important to me, as I talked about before, mentoring the next generation Mm -hmm. of healthcare professionals working with Georgia Gwinnett College. But I do practice self-care through silence. Sometimes when you're so busy, it's in the stillness that you need to find your peace Mm -hmm. and get back together and kind of get plugged into your inner best friend and your inner thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that doing nice things for yourself. So maybe it's getting your nails done or shopping or you talked about hair or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, even nesting at home, right? Cleaning the house. Yes. That's kind of relaxing for me. And, and of course, the dogs and mm-hmm. our fur baby mom. And so taking care of the dogs or grooming them myself or going on walks mm-hmm. or playtime. So those are the things. And even my artwork, I find peace. Yeah, I in. can imagine that's peaceful. Mm-hmm. Where do you find inspiration for your artwork? Are you an artist that looks at, you know, an image or are you just driving down the road and see something beautiful and you recreate it? Or is it all from your mind? I like to look at pictures and as you just pointed out in taking pictures with my phone or seeing things that, oh, I love the colors of this, or, hey, I love these birds. This is kind of neat. Let me challenge myself. Or maybe it's Ugga. Mm-hmm. You know, let me try to <laughs> paint Ugga. So there are different things that call to me. And as it says, it just kind of jumps off the page. Oh, this is something I'd like to try yeah. to challenge myself and paint. In fact, um, I was doing some painting and the Masonic Children's Home down in Macon has a spot on their wall and so I've got a picture that I'm donating to them called Grace and Mm -hmm. it's these really vibrant floral uh, piece that is in a big gold frame it's like 16 by 20 and it was a challenging piece for me because it's more abstract art but um, versus realism but it's vibrant and colorful and it reminds me of the children at the home and it's filled with life and Mm -hmm. All kinds of stuff. So I energy, yes, energy mm-hmm. and spirit. And so I called it Grace. And so we'll be delivering it to the home probably within the next month or so. But just anything, life, yeah, life, right? Just life can inspire you. Do you use um, what are they? Uh, acrylic paints, watercolors, yes. canvas, any any. What are those things called that you used to be able to smear the like oil like? T- like oil painting and you know it's like it looks like a crayon, but you can kind of. Oh. oh gosh, I haven't used them. But what do you use? <laughs> <laughs> I use acrylic paints, okay. and then I play with clay mm-hmm. and paint the clay with the acrylic paints to give it a dimensional look. Ooh. And um, gesso, which is also another medium that you can use that is gypsum based. It's mm-hmm. funny, which is what we use in orthopedic casts to make them hard. Wow. But it gives it a dimensional yeah. look. Look, very cool. Thank you. I wrote down something. Um, you kind of led right into it because I like to play a little association game if you would indulge me. Okay. Well, your, your um, piece was titled Grace. And I'm curious, what is your definition of grace, Katie? Wow. Humility. I would say that grace is just being humble and humility and love. I believe that it's almost an ethereal word that you almost can't touch or feel, but it's a feeling that you can't describe. And that's pretty much how I would leave it. It's almost like grace is something that you can't describe because I think it would be personal for each person. Yes. So I agree. You couldn't put it in a box. No, we give grace. We have grace. We want to be afforded grace um, in a lot of different things. Uh, The next one is strength. Mm. I would say my grandmother strength means grit. Um, you're willing to take a, a chance. You are willing to uh, defy the norms or expectations of others, but follow your heart mm-hmm. and your dreams to be your authentic self. That to me is strength. What is your authentic self, Katie? 
me sitting right here in front of you and being very raw and real um, because I think it's important that as we share our stories with other women and the listeners, if we're going to impart the fruits of our labor and plant the seeds for the next generation, you've got to be your authentic self because how else are other people going to learn and uh, grow from their own personal experiences through others. Are you looking at my paper? Because grow is the next word. No. <laughs> You're psychic. <laughs> the last one, and thank you for indulging me, is growth. growth. What does growth mean to you? Growth means going beyond your comfort zone. I mean, it talks about, um, you know, challenging yourself to do the uncomfortable. Um, I know for some people, travel may be very un- an uncomfortable thing for them. They don't want to go beyond the borders of the state or maybe the country. But I think that's where we grow is when we're uncomfortable. And we grow from learning from different people, different cultures, different languages. And that's why I love working at our community clinic because it is multicultural. It's multi-religious. I learn so much from our patients, but I feel that we both are benefiting from each other's mm-hmm. experiences and interactions. And that to me is growth. Because if you're not growing, you're just stagnant. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. I love that, Katie. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Would you be so kind as to share um, how people can find out more about that clinic that you're talking about, Truth Clinic? Yes, it's called Truth's Clinic, and it is in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It is supported by the various churches um, through in the community. But you can Google it, and you'll find Truth's Community Clinic. Truth's Community Clinic. Thank you. I do want to have you leave the website where people who are listening can check out your um, work and all the books that you have uh, available. Where can they find those? Absolutely. You can find out more about me and my work, whether it's literary or my artwork, and it's www.katie.com. Hart, H-A-R-T, Smith, S-M-I-T-H dot com. Mm. And what's the name of your publication company? The publication company that I work for for my books is called Deeds Publishing, and they're actually out of Athens, Georgia. I thought the one, you have something that's And then my self-publishing is uh, Maplewood. I love it. That's a great, I'm curious, where did you come up with the name? What was the inspiration for the name? Our street. Really? (laughs) That's so funny. Man, very in, original. Maplewood. It's, it has a nice ring in Southern. Yes, and, you know, right. Yeah. Versus Pecan Avenue or something. A- Acorn Street. Magnolia Way. Magnolia. <laughs> Katie, I told you that our time would fly by. It and has. You know what time it is because thank you for listening to some shows before coming on. You're highly revered within the community well, and thank came you. came uh, through our our network of. Uh, nominations. So I would love for you to have the final uh, moment here with our listeners and share something positive with us. Oh, thank you. I think as we mentor the next generation, um, who summed it up best was Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he is our 19th century poet. But he writes, to laugh often and much, to win the respect and intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics, and endure the betrayal of false friends. To appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because of you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And you heard it. Leave the world in a better place than when you found it. 
Katie, thank you for joining us today. I hope that all of you out there listening enjoyed our conversation. You know you can listen to us live every Friday at 1130 a.m. on com. Please uh, feel free to subscribe to this podcast wherever you enjoy your shows. Where do you listen to podcasts, Katie? Spotify iTunes. I do. I listen on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube and everywhere else you can find them. Perfect. Well, all of you out there, just type in Celebrating Powerhouse Women to that search bar. Look for the Rosie the Riveter icon, and we would love for you to join our community. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo. This is your favorite series, Celebrating Powerhouse Women. For our guests, Katie, for our producers, Dan and Mike, we'll catch you next time.